Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show, You. Today we'll be covering the second episode titled, The Last Nice Guy in New York. I like that title. I do too. I feel like that's Definitely. a very like Sex in the City thing. Like that had to be a line in that movie, right? Or that TV show. Oh, you know what? Oh gosh, you know, I've seen the entire series. I've seen both movies. I don't remember, but yeah, I can see where that would be appropriate. Mm. Appropriate uh, title for this episode, that's for sure. I liked it. Anyway, Sean and I were just talking about potty training and poop. Yeah. So <laughs> y'all be glad for us to be jumping on the <laughs> podcast topic here. <laughs> Sean is currently going through trials of potty training. Yeah, He's a little we, one. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're three times in the potty pooping. So hopefully we're, we're getting past it. So Woo-hoo! Uh, go little one. <laughs> well, I'll go ahead and jump <laughs> in uh, this week's episode. Uh, yeah, Last let's nice move guy on. In New York. <laughs> And uh, my number five is You're Not a Killer. Mm. Oh, how I wish I was. I'm not going to lie, Rima. Uh, I'm going to apologize up front. So I'm a little stuffy. So if I, if I snuffle okay. too much, I'm sorry. You're fine. Same here. Uh, but when I, when, I heard, when I heard him talking about this, when I heard Joe say this, yep. I almost wanted to be like, okay, if this is if this is the first time he's ever done anything like this, I don't know if I'm going to like this as much as I thought I would. Oh yeah, okay. because I felt like everything that led to to him getting uh, what the fuck was his name? Why? Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Benji. Benji. Yeah, I've got it written down in twelve places. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, when I if this was the first time he's ever done anything like that with Benji, I feel like. It kind of it doesn't have as much pizzazz to it, and I don't know if I'm kind of still stuck on that kind of Dexter feel, but I think there's something mm-hmm. about jumping into this character if he's already got this history that he's built up to. Like I, I don't, I don't want it, this to be his origin story. Like I want him to have been this. If this is the direction they're going, this weird, creepy dude that's been doing these things for years, and like he's kind of a pro at it. Mm-hmm. Because you know when he walks down there, he sees Benji in there, and you know Benji says you're not a killer, and he says, "Oh, how I wish I was. This would be so easy." Mm-hmm. And so instantly, I'm kind of thinking, like, "Okay, this is going to be a weird interrogation thing. Are they going to form some kind of bond and deal, and he's going to let him out, and Benji's just going to disappear?" Like I felt like that would really kind of kill the the pizzazz of this show. Um, you know, it'd just be kind of weird to say, like, "Okay, you've got this Benji character who's kind of a douchebag." Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't want to die. He doesn't even want to be with Beck. He just wants to, you know, fool around. And if he's like, hey, you can have her. Like, she's not even worth it. Like, he even kind of leads on a lot about how she's kind of not even a really good person. Yeah. And he has, like, no skin in the game. He's like, I just want to live and go and do my douchebaggy thing. And <laughs> it it kind of sounded early on like Joe was going to be for that. And it it just gave me that – I mean – Obviously, if this was real world stuff, it'd be like, oh, okay, thank God he's not a killer. But it's TV show stuff. Like, you, know, you, you, you kind of like to see through the eyes of, you know, Joe and not. And again, I just, I just want there to be, I don't know. Again, it's probably just that Dexter feel. Like, I just want him to be this like mastermind, not like a a guy who just on a whim 
hit kind the of fumbling head. around with yeah, this whole exactly. kidnapping and killing thing. <laughs> and even if he was just fumbling around, like he seemed, he seems too good at it. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't see how somebody who's like, oh my gosh, I love this girl. I'm going to start stalking her. Could just mm-hmm. be like, like I, he he walked by her in numerous things in this episode too, which was kind of weird. Like he was kind of hiding in plain sight, sight a lot. And so if he was doing that, and this was the very first time he's ever done anything like that, it seemed too fake. It seemed like not realistic. Mm-hmm. But if this is something he's been doing ever since he was, I don't know, 15, 16, 20, however old he is, but he's been doing it for like 10 years, of course he's going to be good at it. Mm-hmm. And we know there's this kind of ominous feel with Candace too. There's some stuff dropped with that that you're kind of like, okay, what's what's this whole Candace story? Yeah. But – well, and I I definitely see where you're coming from, but I'm wondering if because he's still pretty young. I don't know that we know their ages, but I'm guessing like mid twenties or you know maybe mid to late twenties uh, in that whole like millennial kind of generation is kind of what I'm feeling. But he's still kind of young, so while I could believe him, I mean it's it's hard to say I would believe anything that Joe really says. I I, I believe he believes it anyway that he's not a killer. So. Um, you know, when he when he says that and when it seems like it's like his first time, you know, because he's he's binging in this uh, murder basement in this murder cage. And it's like, what am I going to do with you? I have you now. I didn't quite plan for this. It was like a spontaneous thing when he hit him, you know, with the mallet. And now he's there and he's like, now I don't know what to do with you. Um, and he says that he's you know, he's not a killer. But. I think this is kind of an escalation process. We're kind of seeing an escalation. Maybe he hasn't killed before, but I am really suspicious of where or about the whole Candace story. You know, something seems off. He's, you know, just kind of alluding to things that happened and he seems even secretive about it, even though he's not. Uh, he's talking to us, you know, through his uh, dialogue or narration that we get to hear. But he's he's kind of talking like he's talking to Beck, like, oh, I can't wait to tell you about yeah. Candace. I will tell you about her. So it's like in his mind, he's talking to her, but he's talking to us. So he's still not we're still not getting that full story. So it feels like there's something still off putting about it, like something, um, you know, not quite right um, and maybe slightly sinister. And even when he meets up with uh, one of her friends later at that uh, party at Peach's house, you know, he, you know, her friend was kind of like alluding to the fact that some, she felt something was kind of off yeah. about their breakup or what happened between them when things were over. So I don't know that he's, you know, I can, I can buy that he probably wasn't a killer, but I definitely feel this is not his first day at stalking or his obsession, um, with, with, you know, someone. And uh, I think now we're just kind of seeing that escalation because everybody, I don't know that, you know, I don't know, do killers, serial killers, do they, most of the time when I hear a story, they kind of, you know, whether they start out really young or in their twenties, they kind of just, they don't just always go out and just start killing people or maybe they do, but it always kind of gets worse or, you know, it seems like there's always a, a, an escalation to it, like a starting point, it escalates and peaks and, yeah, Till their downfall. From from whatever, all the stuff that I, I watched when I was younger, because you know, back in the nineties when I was a kid, my mom watched these. It was like serial killer of the week, and they talked about like probably not good mm-hmm. for a twelve, like eight to twelve year old <laughs> kid to watch. But well, I did. Nothing's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> but but it always seems like yeah, they had kind of like weird tendencies when they were little sometimes. But but it always felt like with with killers, like their first one or two, they always talk about like they always 
you know, they mentioned that they always seem real messy and a lot mm-hmm. of times it didn't follow their typical, you know, MO and, you know, right. but after the first few, they kind of like, oh, well, this is kind of how I do it or this is how I like it. Right. And they kind of just become, it's probably not the right term to use, but they're almost like experts at it. Right. Um, and well, that's what that scene here is. He seemed like he knew what he was doing. And plus, I want to go back and watch it a little bit closer, but when he was in there with Mr. Mooney, I don't know if that one-way door was mm-hmm. installed or not. Because that, yeah. that that again was something that's like that's that doesn't seem typical for this. Like, why is there a one way door in this you know secret bookcase? Yeah, why would you have that? I wonder. I, I can't. It, I mean, you could be like, well, so you could open it, but not let like the air out. But you're opening a big door to get in, so like that argument kind of fell flat for me. I know because you have a door. You could if you're if you're taking books in and out of that room, you have a door you can walk in and out of. Yeah. Why the purpose of having a one way door <laughs> where the, you can't open it on that other side? And the basement itself was kind of set up for the books too. It was just that room was set up more specifically for that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you're right. I didn't, I didn't really pay that much attention. I was kind of so focused on the scene with him and Mr. Mooney and just kind of thinking of how that fed into Joe's history and background and maybe formed who he is today. Cause I'm, I am curious to, to kind of get Joe's backstory. Like it, was he born this way? Was he kind of made this way? I know there's that whole argument of serial, serial killers. I'm not saying he's a serial killer, but that's kind of what I'm, I'm on the serial killer kick. I watched the Ted Bundy docuseries over the weekend. Yeah, I started that one up. <laughs> I'm just, and I'm always about serial killers. I'm sorry. It's not to glorify anything they did, but I've truly been upset since I was a little kid. Um, so I was watching that this weekend, so my mind's kind of stuck on 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 that. I know he's not a serial killer, but he is a type of predator, and serial killers are predators. So Joe is a predator. He's a stalker, and he's certainly escalating. Um, so I'm curious. I know there's that whole argument: are are killers made, or you know, are they born that way? So I'm curious to kind of get Joe's story. Like we saw just a little glimpse of his, you know, when he looks like he began working for Mr. Mooney and that did not seem like very nice yeah. treatment. He was pretty harsh. He locked him in there in, in, in that little cage and, um, you know, smacked him really hard about, you know, uh, not reading the full series of that, the books. And, um, it's like, Whoa, you know, did, did, did he learn that from this or at least that part of him or so I'm kind of interested to get his backstory a little bit and see how did Joe become who he is today who we see today yeah I'm excited to see that sprinkled through because it kind of seems like some of the things he learned from Mr. Mooney and again I don't know this for sure but maybe Mr. Mooney was if he is a serial killer was his first kill and that's what kind of put him on this path Um, I don't know but oh yeah because where is Mr. Mooney we don't see him yeah there's not much mention about him at all either it's really kind of like, uh, he's... Candace. It's like, oh, he just disappeared. Doesn't come down here anymore. Yeah. But, Very interesting. But yeah, it's my number five. I like it. I'm a little curious about it. I think I'm a little non-believing in it, but it's uh, You're Not a Killer. I like it. Let's hope we find out one way or another. <clears throat> All right. So my number five, I wanted to talk just a moment. It's kind of short and sweet. I uh, just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about Peach. Um, in this episode, I thought it was an interesting revelation that her last name is Salinger. 
um, Beck almost seemed kind of embarrassed to, to say it because she's like, well, she doesn't like to talk about it, you know, that she's a Salinger. And he's like, J.D. Salinger? And for anyone who doesn't know who J.D. Salinger is, uh, he was the author of Catcher in the Rye. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so that's who, who J.D. Salinger was. So, you know, a, a strong uh, family and well-known family, especially in New York, um, J.D. Salinger, you know, lived in New York and was from there. And um, so, or I don't know, originally, but I know that he spent a lot of time there and lived there for uh, some time. So big, prominent family. Um, and, and we don't really know sure what the connection is yet. Like, we don't know what that relation exactly is. I mean, sure, there, you know, could be many people in that family that could claim or many people and could be like a distant cousin. So we don't know what connection yet, but I, I, I really get really curious and this is just me being super curious and super nosy and just kind of my mind thinking, um, and wondering when I find out someone has money, um, it's, you know, even in just real life, I'm always thinking of like how much money can they toss away without having to think about it? And that's how, that's oh, yeah. how I kind of like how I weigh how much money this person has. Um, and and how like rich they are is like okay how can they what's their throwaway money how much can they just throw away and um that's how I kind of gauge and and rate and well, apparently just, she can <laughs> I'm just saying since I became a professional podcaster it's like tens of thousands of no sorry it's ten pennies that's what it was <laughs> <Ten> sorry <pennies. laughs> same here same here buddy <laughs> Keep remembering people we love we do this because we love it not because we pay for it. <laughs> It's okay. We're here because we want to be. Um, well, Peach, anyway, she can apparently, she can write a check for first and last month's rent and a deposit in New York. Um, so you're looking if, at what, at least five, ten grand? I mean, I guess it depends on what borough of New York that you're in. I know if you are in, let's say, Brooklyn, you could probably get a decent apartment for probably about twelve to fifteen hundred a month. If you are in Manhattan, you're probably going to, and this is probably for like a really small apartment, uh, maybe even smaller than what Beck has now, um, and not in the Village. The Village is outrageously expensive. Um, because it's just become such a prime area, it would probably be at least like two grand or more per month. Um, so it's it's quite significant. That's a lot. I mean, she just did it without even thinking about yeah. it, you know? So, I so mean... I'm um, curious if she's... So now knowing that she's from a famous author, she's living off of that, you know, catcher in the rye money? Because I believe that would probably still be not in the public domain. So she'd probably mm-hmm. still have rights to it. Um, I'm sure there's probably stuff if she's like, like a granddaughter or something like that. And if that money was invested well, I mean, yeah, she probably has kind of got like a nice little trust fund. So she might right. have some, some of that cash to throw around. Exactly. Yeah. It just makes me wonder if she has, you know, something like a granddaughter that ha- has, has a trust that she can just live on. Cause I, you know, it's like, does she work? Uh, she's got a fabulous apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it seems her, to be her own. Her underwear looked like very nice lingerie. I mean, <laughs> there were no holes in that that were not on purpose. No, there were no Hanes, I bet, in that drawer. <laughs> I bet it was all <laughs> very nice, um, very nice lingerie, that's for sure. She, she got a great figure, that's for sure. Um, so curious, I don't is, know. Is that a thing coming back with like the, the 90s longer 
hip underwear? Like the high waisted? Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. It's kind of coming back around a I little don't know bit. How I feel about that. I'm a kid of the 2000s, you know, like and those low you like rise that low? jeans. Yeah, the low yeah. rise jeans were always like. That just reminds me of like emo, like skater girl stuff. Yeah, that's your nostalgia thing coming out there, yeah. Sean, from when you grew up. That's so. True. I, I, I kind of like it. It's especially for us women. I don't know how, I don't know. I've never really gotten a man's, oh, I guess I just did get a man's perspective <laughs> about that, but I haven't asked any other men like their perspectives of like, Hey, what do you think about this coming back? Do you find it appealing? Do you find it attractive? Um, because for, I'm going to tell you for us ladies, uh, for me, and I'll speak for myself, uh, it's kind of nice, kind of holds you in. Yeah. You know? I figured like the high rise stuff would be a little bit more comfortable too. Like low rise, like you got to keep pulling it up. Your butt crack's going to show. You got to be careful. Yeah. Your front crack doesn't show. You got to be careful of a lot of things yeah. not showing and, and, you know, Hey, I just, I feel like it, I don't know. I really like it. I, f- I find it pretty appealing and maybe it's because I'm from like the nineties. It's my kind of era. And I remember the high-waisted jeans. Like I bought some high-waisted jeans because high-waisted jeans are coming back. I bought these two pair of high-waisted jeans. I'm telling you what, I don't wear anything else, <laughs> man. Those things hold you in. You don't have to like suck it in. Your muffin top ain't hanging over. <laughs> Um, it's all tucked in nice and tight. Um, so I like the high waisted stuff, but that's interesting, but it's probably because that's, you know, you grew up in that era. I find that, um, I'm not even going to go there. Never mind. I'm going to just shut up (laughs) anyway. Yeah. So peach, um, has great underwear, um, because she can afford it. So I don't know. I just found her very interesting. I found her, her suspicion of Joe interesting as well. I don't, She's definitely coming on to him, not coming on to him that way. She's coming around to, I think, being suspicious of him and and challenging him, you know, kind of like, oh, and you you met in a bookstore. Well, you know, you know, that's so New York. And then, oh, and what a coincidence that you happen to, you know, run into her a second time on the subway. And um, so I find it interesting. She's not as dumb. You know, which I never thought she was really dumb, but she's, I think, more to her than what I had thought at first when I first met her in the last episode. What, what's your impression of Peach? Yeah, it's one of those things I see going two ways. Like one, like you said, she's kind of smart. She kind of knows what's going on. Or on the other side, you know, we already know that Beck has bad taste in men. You know, it's been mm-hmm. talked about pretty much through the whole first two episodes, but. Peach is not helping, that's for sure. Yeah, and I wonder if, if the situation there is, you know, maybe. Maybe she's the friend that doesn't want to see Beck happy because it it would having a, a sad friend is gives her something to look at and be like, well, at least I'm not Beck. Right. And so if Beck gets any kind of happiness, it's like, okay, now I have to realize how miserable I am because it doesn't sound like she has any uh, significant other at all. It sounds mm-hmm. like she throws this big party around the weekend of the divorce of her parents is kind of a, a woes me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of curious there. Like I know – I know plenty of people who have that friend who would rather see you miserable and unhappy because it makes them feel better than to try and help you be happy, if that makes sense. It does make sense because I I think probably most women and girls all probably know (laughs) someone like that, whether they're your friend, but um, know someone like that because girls can be so terrible to girls. I think hopefully that's slightly changing in today's day and age. But uh, yeah, I think that makes total sense. I also kind of wonder if uh, Peach isn't slightly into Beck a little bit more than a friend thing. And maybe she will typically set Beck up with loser guys or guys that she knows aren't really good for her. So she doesn't get too committed. Yeah. 
You know, she's it's like, like oh, you, you can't fully commit to that guy. She's like, um, and I'm going to pick you up. Beck, I want to be your pillow. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it took me just a few seconds there. My brain was slow on the uptake. <laughs> Maybe that's season two. I mean, season one, you got to keep it because it was on Lifetime. So it's probably a little bit more PG. Right. Had to keep it slightly more uh, <laughs> PG-13. Netflix is going to go full the other way. That would be an interesting kind of a love triangle situation. It would. Yeah, they're going to have to, whoever gets a hold of Beck is going to have to uh, uh, be in um, competition with the green pillow. (laughs) Anyway, that's my number five. What is your number four? My number four uh, is pretty simple, but it's Benji's secret. So, Mm. and this, you know, I kind of meant, this kind of goes in my first, uh, my number five a little bit, but, you know, as we talked about Joe talking about like he's not a killer, and then a few bits into this episode, we learn that Benji has a secret. So he he gets Joe to go and uh, find his tape, or it's, I guess it was on a flash drive, that shows this event. I guess it was like a frat house or a, like a, a pool party type thing where they basically, I, mean, well, I don't know if they basically did, but they essentially killed a kid. And I don't know if the kid was gay or if they just were being very homophobic towards him or what it was, but end up, this kid died. And because Benji is from a lot of money, they're able to kind of bury it. I don't know if they probably settled out of court with the the parents or they just completely hid it. I'm not sure, but Mm -hmm. got him off scotch-free. And Benji kept the video of this, I don't know, as some kind of like trophy or some kind of like um, just, I don't know, maybe if he feels miserable or maybe that's why he's miserable because of this and he keeps that as a reminder. But at that moment, Joe knows Benji's secret and then Benji kind of has a secret about Joe, the fact that he tried to not necessarily murder him, I guess, at this point, but had him kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And so at this moment, I'm thinking that these guys are going to get out. Like they're going to basically kind of be like buddies to an extent. You know, we're going to see Benji get out, be free, go on his way. And so I think that's just kind of interesting to see that like Benji's not only – because in the first episode, you know, you could see Benji be like, well, this is just a tool bag. I mean, he's not great towards women. Um, <laughs> no, you know, he's just, he's kind of a douchebag, but he's not like, he doesn't deserve to die. I think from the first episode, at least I didn't feel that way. Right. Now, when you see something like this, you're like, okay, this guy definitely needs to go to jail. Like he, <laughs> he's committed a crime. Yeah. And I'm sure he feels awful about it, but it was not a good thing whatsoever. So now you're looking at these, this, you know, almost Joe as being kind of the good guy and, and Benji being a horrible guy. So it's almost like vigilante justice. Um, but I don't know. What'd you, what do you think about that when, when Benji's secret was kind of revealed? Uh, well, and it's funny that that's your number four because Benji is also my number four. And I just, you know, I really just, I don't like Benji but I also enjoy watching him in some terrible way. I can't explain it really that I, I don't like him, but I am enjoying watching him because he really is the worst. And especially now that we're discovering more details about him, he's, he's entitled, he's never had to answer to any type of consequences in his, and you know, in his past. And I'm kind of disturbingly glad Joe didn't outright just kill him when he hit him with the mallet in the first episode. Yeah. I mean, at first it was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, take him out. He's a he's an ass, and I just don't like him, and he gets on my nerves. But after seeing this episode, I'm kind of glad, like, oh, I'm glad that he didn't kill him right off because it's been an interesting exchange. Um, 
And what really makes, to me, this show all the more creepier, and it really subverted my expectations for what I thought would happen, uh, because I really didn't expect to enjoy watch. I don't like him, but I didn't expect to enjoy watching him. And, um, you know, it just makes it really creepy how Joe kind of plays with him. And that to me is kind of creepy. Oh yeah. Um, good point. It's very, yeah. You very good of uh, a big, like cat and mouse. Yeah. Like so, he's, he's got him down barely alive and he's just playing with him. That's, yeah. that's a good analogy. Uh, yeah, that's how it seemed to me. And it just it didn't really surprise me that to hear that Benji accidentally killed someone during this uh, hazing event that went wrong. And he keeps his damn video. You know, I feel he kept it to blackmail his buddies that were there with yeah, him that night. Like, hey, that. I'm not in this alone. If I go down, everyone goes down or yeah. something, you know, so I can totally see that he's doing it that which makes it even more you know, like, I don't like you. And, but, um, and it's like, because the more I find out about Benji, the more I like Joe. And, (laughs) and I mean, the showrunners have me feeling for this obsessive stalker, you know, it's like they keep pushing you. They keep showing you all these terrible twisted characters and Joe is one too, but he keeps, you know, it's like, he still kind of comes out on top a little bit when you look at all these other terrible characters. Um, but I don't think Benji deserved to die for what he did. I think he should have to, suffer the consequences for his actions because he's just an entitled little shit, you know, little rich kid. What's funny um, is, uh, I, uh, last night I watched, uh, the fire festival documentary. On yes. Netflix. Yes. And, uh, you can see some correlations between the guy who ran the fire festival and, and Benji to an extent. Mm, Billy McFadden. Very much kind of like this, this dude that hustles and kind of just looks out just for himself and, uh, I don't know if anybody's seen that fire thing, but there's a scene that like, I only watched half of it one night and the other half the other. And there was a scene that pissed me off where he's sitting there with these like beautiful models and he's not a very attractive guy. Like Benji, you could say is like, at least he's somewhat attractive. He's in shape, but the, the guy from the fire festival is not like very, like he's pretty heavy set. Just kind of looks like a, a, a goober really. He does look like a goober. <laughs> and so he's sitting there with like all these beautiful models. He's sitting there with Ja Rule. And I've never been like a, a Ja Rule rap fan. Like I just don't like rap, but like watching him in those, like I don't know how you could like that guy as well. Like he, uh, same boat. But he's oh sitting man. There and of course it's just drunk rich dude talk, I'm sure. But he's like, we're trying to sell like for the average middle class loser to want to come here and do this. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that guy, he is something else. Again, I know we talked about it in our last one. I, I was all over those Fire Festival documentaries, uh, the one on Netflix, and then I watched the one on Hulu. And then I was like, who else has got the next one? I want to see more. Yeah. I can't help it. I was so addicted to those uh, when I watched them that weekend that they came out. I'm like, where's the next one? I need three and four and five. Um, I couldn't get enough. I'll probably watch them again because they're so absurd. Yeah, I'm glad the, you watched it. The Hulu one still, but yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah they were good. You know, Benji's in that same – like I just I said, they, they feel like they're very similar guys. I Yeah, and I Benji said an in- interesting line that kind of made me agree with him a little bit when he, he told Joe. He's like, if you knew her, you would not be putting me in a cage and ruining your life over Guinevere Beck. Um, I thought, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I He's really putting a lot on the line, and I'm sorry – She's not that special. I mean, okay, he's 
he's what he thinks I think is in love with her. He's obsessed with her. Mm -hmm. He thinks, you know, he's going to solve all of her problems and fix her and they're going to be in love forever. Um, and I get that, you know, you don't have to be super extraordinary because the person, the person that loves you and the person that you love, you know, they're special in your eyes for whatever reason, maybe other people don't see it, you see it and that's enough and that's okay. But to ruin your life over someone and doing what Joe is doing, that's pretty steep uh, for someone who, in my eyes, Beck is pretty ordinary yeah, um, mean, and not worth it. Honestly, why doesn't he just do like the old style romantic thing and just cut off one of his ears, send it to her in a box, and, you know, there you go. It I don't know why. Vincent Van Gogh, right? Right. Did it? Did it, though? I don't know that whole story. I know that's I why did. he did it, but did it Did it work out for him? I don't think so, but I mean... Oh, okay. At least he could always be around her and hear. Maybe those like old school stockings. Like maybe I can hear all her thoughts. Ow. <laughs> maybe. Oh my gosh, I like that. Um, that was both our fours. We are ready for your number three. All right. So my number three. Uh, it's probably pretty short and sweet, I guess. But uh, not really sweet though. But we see <laughs> the interaction between Joe and Paco. Yeah. Uh, so Paco, you know, we see. You know, the, the living arrangements he has is not the greatest. Mm-hmm. And he's hanging out at the bookstore. It's kind of like he looks at Joe kind of like, I don't know if it'd be the dad or the older brother or like the cool uncle. But he's at the bookstore and they've got this big Stephen King release. And so everybody like this is the one time, which I kind of found weird. Like, I don't know if bookstores really have like these like, you know, opening selling days for books. Like I would imagine most people buy them from Amazon, but Maybe yeah. that's a big New York thing, like buying it from your local bookstore. I like, Maybe. You know, I think that's cool, but I just don't know if that's really a thing. I know. I, I thought the same thing. Um, I loved, number one, it was Stephen King because, hey, we love, uh, you know, the, the you know, our king around here. Um, but I wondered the same thing when I saw that. I was like, do they do that? I mean, other than when the author themselves, you know, come yeah. and they have like a book signing or a book reading and they, you know, will sign your book and you buy it and things like that. I know that that is still a thing, which is super cool. I've met some really interesting and um, cool people at their book signings and when they speak about the book and things like that or their experiences. Um, so I know that is a thing and and people still attend those and they're really popular. But just to have like, oh, today's the release of the new Stephen King, you know, uh, book. I was just really surprised. I thought, gosh, did people really do that? Because I feel like this bookstore, it's a nice bookstore, but it doesn't seem to seem like almost Stephen King was like one of the newest books there because yeah, it yeah. seemed like this bookstore kind of seemed to specialize mostly in older books maybe or harder to find yeah, books. It's kind of like a vintage unique. antique book. Yeah. Unique kind of store. Um, yeah. Which is great because I love those places. I bet it smells amazing oh, in yeah, there because I, I love books and I love bookstores. I, that's where... Damn it. And that's one of the reasons, just as a side note, I, I have such a hard time hating Joe. I do. I, he's deplorable. <laughs> what he does is, is terrible. And I don't agree with what he does, but it, it's hard, so hard to hate him because he loves books so much. And that is the way I am as well. And um, I just love books. So I bet it smells great in there. But I thought the same thing. I thought it was kind of strange to have that that opening. And I mean, it looked like it almost looked like the angle that they had this really long line of people out the door. Yeah. And then once it flipped to the other side, it looked like maybe like three or four people <laughs> <laughs> were lined up to get the Stephen King. But they were selling out in their box. They were like, oh, we need another box. I made cookies. They're not for me. Good old right. Ethan. But yeah, so Paco's there and he 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 wants to help. So he's like, oh, I'm gonna go get more books downstairs. And so he nabbed the keys from Joe and runs down there and Joe catches him just in time before he gets down there. 
and you know gives him that like very stern shake and is kind of like very just aggressive with him and i mean mm-hmm. knowing paco's life like i'm sure that happens a lot and if somebody you feel like cares about you does that you're just kind of like okay i was already kind of broken now i'm really broken but he does come back and apologize uh to him about it which was a kind of a touching little moment there like it was kind of that Joe knew he did something wrong because in his past that happened to him. We see that flashback with Mr. Mooney locking mm-hmm. him in that book cage and smacking him too because he only read The Wizard of Oz because, you know, he's swine who only reads Wizard of Oz, not the other ones. Right. But but I thought that was it's a little bit, you know, it was kind of interesting to see that kind of reaction between both of them. So it was just kind of my number three is just uh Paco and Joe's interaction. I know. And that's another thing I mentioned, his love of books that makes it hard for me to to hate him. And this his relationship with Paco is another thing. It's like we see him do all of these, you know, lovely things. Um, and he seems so genuine, this one side of him, you know, that we see. Now, if we could only get rid of the stalker obsessive, you know, side of him, then he'd be really the last nice guy in New York. <laughs> so I really love that relationship that he has with Paco. I mean, sweet little Paco, how he just smiles at him when, you know, Joe hands him this book and, you know, leaves him a snack and, and uh, you know, he gets up and walks away. And then when they're in the bookstore and he hands him Frankenstein, you know, and he and Joe gets up and walks away and just that you can see that admiration, you know, in Paco's eyes. And so I, I really love that about Joe because Paco clearly does, like you said, have he does not have the ideal home life. He's got a pretty rough childhood. His, you know, I'm sure his mom, you know, really loves him. There's no question about that. But she has a man in her life that is, is seems pretty toxic and not good for Paco to have around. Um, so he has it kind of rough. And it's really sweet how Joe gives him attention. He feeds his love for books and and I like that he's given him like really good stories to read, you know, like really good classics, you know, to read and learn from. Um, so, gosh, it's hard to hard to hate the guy. Why do you make me want to love a stalker? Um, anyway, I like that. I like that thing with Paco. And I think we got a little bit of a um, interesting side. You really kind of saw Joe lose his shit just a yeah. little bit there with Paco. And I thought that was kind of interesting because even we haven't really seen that. I mean, Joe seems really pulled together. I mean, he's got this guy locked in his his murder basement and he seems to just be taking it in stride. He's pretty calm. Now he's saying like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy, but he's he doesn't seem to get riled up. He doesn't really allow Benji to really piss him off or, or, you know, he doesn't react a lot. I mean, he does say he responds, but he doesn't like react, mm-hmm. you know, in a, a real angry way like he did with Paco um, when he caught him going down to the the steps. So I thought that was a really interesting reaction uh, that he, you know, and I don't know, do you think that was more uh, for Paco's benefit? Like, I don't want him to see, like, he doesn't want to be found out. Like, somebody's locked up in the basement shouldn't be, or do you think that he just didn't want Paco to realize that he's a bad guy? Like he didn't want to look bad in Paco's eyes. Uh, I think it was more just not getting caught. Yeah. It's kind of that whole thing of, you know, I mean, you always see in like serial killers and stuff like that. And you, you, you always wonder like they, they know they have to be doing something wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And even the ones who somehow can justify it in their heads, I feel like why do they hide it? Why do they keep it away from loved ones is obviously because they're doing something wrong. I feel like that's what was happening here. Like in his mind, he's doing the right thing by kidnapping Benji and keeping him away from Beck. But when somebody's going to find it, it's just kind of realization of like, no, I'm doing something wrong. That's why you can't see this. I don't think it's, I'm going to look bad in Paco's eyes. It's more, I'm going to get found out. 
that makes sense. Yeah, because it's right, and it, it's he he seems to always find a justification and and you know as to why he's doing the things that he does, and he doesn't seem to make that connection. Like we can sit here and look at it and go, dude, that's messed up. Um, he doesn't seem to have a problem with having Benji in the basement, but as soon as he knows he might get found out, he kind of freaks out. So I thought that was an interesting reaction. Um, and I think we got a little bit of the true Joe yeah. <laughs> kind of, you know, he's like, he's cracking just a tiny bit, well, you know, I guess, it's, I mean, we've seen it twice. Kind of the first time was when he swung that mallet and that was not a yeah. nice Joe swing. That was a vengeful, hateful swing. And then this moment here. So, but yeah, my, my number three is just Paco. I like it. Um, yeah, sweet little Paco. My number three is the professor. Ooh. Oh, slime bag professor who tries to get his way with a student and just becomes a complete slime ball in the process. Um, I really didn't like the way when he flashes his wedding ring and then says, I'm safe. I'm like, yeah, of course you are. You dirt bag. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's disgusting. And he gets all handsy with Beck and then, of course, wants to take away her TA spot and not allow her to reassign to another professor after she rebuffs him, you know, during that uh, dinner that they had, which, you know, was, you know, terrible. Um, and then we find out, of course, that Beck was not, you know, the first person that he's done this to. Mm. Um, and I just, it, it just makes me so angry, you know, um, this, this role that he, he, he put her in and to, and to see how things have kind of changed. I, I just really like how she kind of flipped it on him. And in so much of like today's time with the Me Too movement of, you know, I think, years ago, 10 years ago, or even just a few years ago, this, he, he could have just been like, whatever this, it wouldn't have meant as much. But I think with today's, um, you know, climate that we currently have is why he definitely kind of changed his mind and, you know, realized that she meant business and that these girls did exist. And he knew he had done something wrong and, um, you know, turn the tables, but I just really, Really didn't like him. Not that I'm loving Beck or anything, but I like how she stood up for herself and, you know, kind of called him out on his bullshit. Yeah, it's what I was kind of curious about when I was thinking about if when this took place, if it was kind of before the Me Too movement kind of took off when they when they recorded this and everything. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even when they're sitting around the table joking about it, they were like, uh, you know, handsy professor, like who hasn't slept with their professor kind of thing or you know, who hasn't been, you know, approached by the professor. Like it was, it, it was the, the whole common discussions that had happened before, but with the Me Too movement, a lot of people to come forward and be like, no, this happened to me or um, made people think that, oh, just because I have power, I can't do these things. Yeah. And so I was trying to figure out when this was shot and everything, it might've been just before that, that was kind of the taking place. So mm-hmm. I'm curious if it was shot during, you know, it'd be interesting if they kind of interjected that into this story, you know, because it seems like they probably released about the same time. Um, yeah. But I'm curious how that's going to play out because she's she's got something over her professor's head now. Um, so she's kind of the one in control. And so I'm curious what's going to happen there. Yeah, I'm curious too. And it just, it just made me angry. It just in general just makes me angry that, you know, there, that this exists and that he was 
that she felt that she had to comply with having that dinner, um, knowing full well he was probably going to be trying to hit on her again. We've seen how he has those inappropriate touches, you know, and he puts his hand on her back or on her shoulder and things that he says and things that are inappropriate in of itself. And then, you know, kind of forces her, you know, um, kind of letting her know like, well, we should have this dinner and discuss this, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, why do we have to, why do you have to go to dinner and do that? Where we can do that here in your office. We can do that here in a professional setting. Why do you want to do this? So, I mean, it's just, I hate that he, he and so many other guys like him, you know, put girls in that type of position and the girls feel so powerless because she's in this, she's in this position. She, she can't lose, if she loses her TA position then she loses her apartment and then, you know, then she's, what is she going to do? And she's kind of helpless and it just sucks that he took advantage of her in that way. And, you know, knew he had one over on her and just pissed me off. And I just, I'm ready to see this guy go down. So anyway, quick and short. When she turned around and shut the door and locked it, like my skin started to crawl because I'm like, oh, please don't do it. Like I, like I have vision that she's going to turn around and walk towards back the desk and it was going to, she was going to do what he was wanting. But when she turned around and flashed that phone, I was like, fucking right, dude. Yeah, that was one where I was kind of like, all right, good for you, Beck. I was, uh, you know, glad for that moment because I, I thought the same thing, too. I thought that was her moment of surrender. Like, all right this is just what I'm going to have to do to, to keep my position and that she was going to, you know, feel like she had to go there. And uh, when she didn't go to the customs and take (laughs) one in the mouth. So we get some Evian water, (laughs) take it for the team. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I'm not kidding. You guys watch the fire festival (laughs) documentary and thank me later. You're welcome. (laughs) Anyway, what is your number two? So my number two, we've had, two mentions of this, and I'm wondering if, if it's going to be the theme of each episode. So the first one he gives uh, Paco the Three Musketeers book. No, uh, well, he had Three Musketeers, but he also had yep. um, Count of Monte Cristo. Yes, which it was mm-hmm. talking about chivalry, which he was trying to kind of show that towards Beck in this. This one, he gives him Frankenstein, and they kind of talk back and forth about how Frankenstein really isn't the monster. Yep. And so you're trying to make those comparisons with Joe. Like, well, Joe is kind of the Frankenstein. He's a monster, right? But is he mm-hmm. the monster? And so I feel exactly. like it's like you're going to, I think, be pulling these different books and trying to figure out, like, okay, how does this tie in with what they're trying to say with Joe? Like, I feel like this is very strategic picking these books. I agree. With that topic, too, it kind of made me think you were talking about Peach being, um, you know, related to J.D. Uh, Salinger. Mm-hmm. And so my question there is now, is Joe actually going towards Beck or does he know that she's friends with Peaches and that's what he's trying to get into? Because we know he's obsessed with books. Mm-hmm. It seems kind of random that they'd have you know, her be related to a famous author or at least have the same name as a famous author. Mm-hmm. So now that kind of has my my mind just kind of trickling through. Like, does he like – is his collection of – like books go further than just books. Like now he has this famous author's granddaughter, maybe, or cousin of a cousin or some relation that now that'll become his obsession. Mm, interesting. So kind of curious about that. It may, you know, it's just fan theory type stuff, but um, kind of interesting there, but yeah, but really it's just kind of going through the book choices that they've had so far. And I'm really curious to see um, if that kind of continues through each of these other episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and like you brought that up, there was also Don Quixote where they 
he's like, oh, well, it's about chivalry. And he's like, well, what chivalry? And he's like, well, it's, you know, uh, you know, how about how you treat women with respect and, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do. And it's just interesting. Like you said, the things that they say and reference the books, book choices that he's giving um, to, to Paco and how he kind of relates it to himself, because I feel that Job really believes he's being chivalrous in his actions with Beck, like he feels he's saving her. He is her knight in shining armor and he is saving her from Benji. He is saving her from his or her friends. Um, and he's going to fix things for her. And, you know, he's going to make their bed every day and he's going to cook her breakfast every day. So she doesn't have to eat those frozen dinners. And, you know, he's, he's out to, to save her and he thinks he is being chivalrous. So I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm always so interested to see what book or something that they might, kind of reference next and what he says he thinks is kind of in relation also to himself. So I like it. Um, my number two is what we learned. Um, in this episode, since Benji was allowed to grace our presence, um, you know, for the entire episode and he wasn't killed off, we get an interesting, I feel in my opinion, character study on Joe. Um, I feel like we're getting a lot from Benji and kind of learning about him a little bit, but we're also, um, in that reflection, I feel like we're getting a little bit of a study on Joe, um, because you're getting a little of Benji and then back from Joe's per- perspective, but we're also getting to know Joe. We know that he's patient and methodical, but he can also act impulsively. Um, for the most part, he seems to be able to control himself. Like I said, he he seems, for the most part, pretty cool and collected, you know, when we see him. Um, but in this control, he thinks he can um, control others around him. And he goes so far with this delusion that he thinks that through his actions, he can make Beck fall in love with him. And that's essentially what drives his every action um, by doing this. So, I mean, clearly he's delusional, he's controlling, and he's obsessive. And I'd love to hear what someone with a psychology degree has to say about him. I'm not a psychologist by any means, but I'm even able to pick out even just my little obsession in, in, in the early days with psychology. You know, I know that much. <laughs> but I'd love to hear, like, a profile, yeah. you know, uh, so like a professional-type uh, breakdown and profile of, of his uh, behaviors and, and see what someone with a degree would actually say about him. And I find it interesting. I think he's created his own logic for this world, and he can't see past it, really. Um, it's if he doesn't see people as uh, as people, but as characters in a story, one that he's writing. Ooh, yeah, good and, call. Yeah, and it's like it allows him to kill probably – uh, I think quite easily because he because he doesn't see people as people. He sees them as characters, and he's in control of that narrative. Um, and of course, that's very little comfort to Benji um, in the end. But <laughs> that's kind of what I'm getting a little bit. What we're learning so far. Any thoughts? No, I think you tied it up that pretty well. But yeah, I really like that idea of him kind of writing his own novel because he talks about like how you know anybody in New York's writing their own novel, but he's kind of living his out, I guess, instead of writing it. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, gosh, look at us. We're already down to our number one. Oh, my number one. Uh, <laughs> so I started out my number five with how I was kind of upset that it seemed like, at least from Joe's initial monologue, he's not a killer. And you see him interacting with Benji and you know, you're like, okay, like again, my thoughts are they're going to make up He's going to let him out, and Benji's just going to disappear, not in terms of dying, but just disappear from their lives altogether. Mm -hmm. (coughs) 
shows up with a cup of coffee from some organic coffee shop with all the crap that <laughs> Benji likes. I'm like, oh, all right, here it goes. And drink I coffee. Like milk. <laughs> gonna let them out. But quickly, I'm. Uh, you kind of start like it's. It's not too hard to pick up. It's like I bet something's in there. And totally. I, I was thinking like just poison, but he put in a couple shots of peanut oil. Yep. Which, like he said, Benji's a liar, so he's probably lying about his peanut allergy. But sure enough, he eh, wasn't. And so take a chance. we get death by peanuts. Yep. So I'm kind of curious if uh, if this is how. Benji considers himself not a killer because technically he didn't kill Benji because mm-hmm. he didn't actually know for sure. Um, he didn't seem, it still seems very planned out to do that because what you're what you're doing in that situation is like, well, if he's not allergic to peanuts, okay. But if he is, I've, I'm going to basically, I've killed him. Right. So that's, I mean, you, you think about a normal person, they would never even take that chance. But he was very easily able to do that and stood by and watched him like writher in pain and die. Yeah, that's not a fun way to go, yeah. <laughs> anaphylactic shock. Because <laughs> uh, you basically suffocate, right? Your throat closes up and... Yeah, I mean, I... I well, clearly I'm still standing, so I didn't die, but I, I'm highly allergic to bees. Ooh. And when I found out I was allergic to bees, I went into an anaphylactic shock uh, like that. And um, my eyes sw- uh, had swollen shut and my um, chest got really tight and my throat was swelling up so I couldn't breathe. Um, so, yeah, you essentially just kind of suffocate and just I think I think it's kind of like a cardiac arrest, I uh, guess. I don't know the full medical like how it how it plays out completely but i know that you can't breathe um and you sometimes have to have an airway put in and of course um all of that i didn't get that far thank god but i know that i was hardly breathing when they got to the er <laughs> and i got some shots <laughs> that um pulled me out but yeah you're right it's he's taking a 50 50 shot there um because he could just be calling bullshit on benji's you know hey i've got a gluten allergy it's yeah. a real thing you know um and and like how he doesn't um you know he's gluten free he's dairy free um and peanuts will kill me um so is he being dramatic mm-hmm. maybe he's allergic but he's not because you can be allergic to something and it doesn't kill you or whatever you, you just you have a reaction like that, yeah. yeah you can break out in hives or you you know if you're allergic to dogs or horses or an animal or something you might get the sniffles and or your allergies or something might act up but you know you don't have to be deathly allergic so he could have been just being dramatic you know um in, in typical Benji style but he he didn't seem hurt over the fact that there was you know, hey, this is a 50-50 shot. I might kill him. He seemed to be okay with that decision. Yeah. And to me, like, if, you know, we go back to his first initial thing, I'm not a killer. If if that's the first time somebody's died at his hands, he was pretty calm about it. I know. So that, he's so controlled. That leads me to believe, like, he's he's got a history that I, I'm really curious to see how it plays out. And mm-hmm. I, I think in that moment, I think they did a good job because – to me, still, I'm a little bit kind of wishy-washy on this show because it's a Lifetime original show. Like, that's where it originated. Yeah. And so I'm waiting for, like, it'd be like, oh, well, this was a good idea, but, you know, they Lifetimed it. And I just can't, like, they did, they did something that I, 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 don't, they, I don't, I can't, like, get behind. Right. And that would be kind of like if they're like, oh, well, Joe's just a, a weird creeper and this is the first time he's ever done that. I'm like, okay, well, that's good for a movie, but not for, you know, a multiple season show. So I, I, right. I, I kind of think that this really kind of kicks it into gear that like 
you know, you had questions at the beginning, like, okay, well, maybe this isn't what I thought from the first episode, but right at the end, just like, just like at the end of the first one, you know, cause it's going to be an interesting pattern. Now I keep kind of thinking about it out loud. Like the mm-hmm. first episode, you're like, okay, well, Joe's weird, but is he that weird? And then, you know, mallet to the head. And then this one, you're like, okay, Joe's still kind of weird, but is he that weird? And then death by peanut. So, um, just my number one is just the death by peanut, but it's just kind of interesting to, to see some, clarification on where Joe's at in his mindset. Yeah. I think we're going to learn some more about Joe, but I'm also okay if we just get pieces of it. I'm okay if we don't get all of it unfolded at once. I think it's fun to kind of peel away those layers, you know, to kind of see where it goes. So I I don't think this is his first foray into his obsessiveness um, and and creepy behavior uh, for sure. But um, I don't know. I'm interested to find out more too. We'll see. I'm hanging in there. Um, Okay, so my number one is Beck. Um, I've mentioned this before. I've said it earlier. You know, I'm not a huge fan of hers for sure. I find some of the things that she does distasteful uh, for sure. Um, But I think in this episode, it was just a little bit different because – I feel like I could relate to her in in just a little bit in this episode because what we get here in this episode is two men trying to take away her autonomy. You've got Joe making her to be an object to be saved. Uh, the professor, you know, threatening to strip away her TA position and forcing her into another role, which narrows her options when she rebuffs his advances. Um she goes and she finds these other women that the professor, this is the distasteful part, by the way. Um, she goes and finds these other women that the professor has pulled the same stunt with. And she presents them to the professor, which, you know, as I mentioned, may not have mattered a few years ago, but with the Me Too movement, it definitely forces the professor to, con- uh, you know, reconsider her uh, being transferred uh, to someone else. And I can't help but wonder, this is what bothered me about that, is I can't help but wonder about the women that shared their story with Beck in the hopes that their professor would be exposed publicly for his trans transgressions mm-hmm. and only to find out Beck's pretty much just doing it for her own end. Um, I yes, can't say – yeah. it, it kind of sucks. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that we'll see that in a different episode or if she'll – if something will come out of it. If – I don't blame her necessarily for gathering the information and using it to her end, like to say, Hey, asshole, I know these things about you and I'm going to expose you. And you know, uh, this is, this is what's going to happen. Not what you say is going to happen. But I really hate the fact that she probably told these women who were too scared to come forward themselves and maybe thought that they were alone in their story. Um, and, and were afraid to come forward alone, but was like, Hey, I'm not the only one. And, you know, if you're willing to share your story or if you're willing to gather some stories and, and, and bring it out to the public, I will share my story. And then to think that she doesn't do that, um, and really only did it for her own benefit just angers me even more. Cause I'm like, come on. Um, but anyway, um, and then of course she then at the end finds herself falling for Joe because on the outside he is perfect. Right. I mean, yeah. when you look at it from Beck's perspective, he, he seems perfect and he probably does seem to her the last nice guy in New York. We are the ones that know he's not what he seems to be. So well, is that, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, again, like we talk about rom-coms. I mean, he, you know, he saved her life. He's a bookstore guy. He doesn't have social media. Mm-hmm. He's kind of all the things that I'd be like, wow, is this like this? Is this real life? Yeah. 
he's just, this is why I have trust issues and I just don't believe anybody because <laughs> to me, he's just too good to be true. Um, that's why I'm skeptical of everyone. Um, but anyway, that's my number one. Do you have some notes? I have one big note. Um, so it could, I probably should have mentioned it with Paco to kind of tease it, but as Joe and Paco are talking about the next book that he gives them. Joe mentions to him that, hey, every bathroom in this apartment building is exactly the same. One, I'm kind of like, well, how does he know that for sure? But still, he's like, there's a, a tile you can push up, and there's a nice little hiding place. Mm-hmm. And my mind instantly went to, oh, a great hiding place, right? For trophies. Ooh. And what we see at the very end of this episode is him taking, I believe it was the flash drive, from Joe's, or was it the phone? I know he did the phone. It was the phone, I think, yeah. So he yeah. takes Benji's, I'm sure it was Benji's phone. Benji's phone. And puts it up under that tile. We don't see anything else up there, but there could be stuff up there. We just didn't see up there enough to know. But of course. I, I, that like got my mind like, I want to know what's up there because that will reveal <laughs> so much about what Joe is. You're, totally. If you look up there and it's just the one phone, you're like, okay, he's just starting out. But like, if you look up there and there's like a crap ton of stuff, like, oh my God, this dude is a psychopath. So yeah, that's my one big note. Like that's something I want to be focused on pretty heavily. I think for the rest of this episode, for the rest of the season. I know this show does a really good job of putting things out there and you just know this is going to pop up later. You know, this means something just like when we saw the glass cage, you know, in the basement, you were like, mm-hmm, mm. that's going to be coming up again, you know, in, in this series, whether it's the next episode or whether it's a couple episodes we've been introduced to. You don't just get introduced to a glass cage or whatever it's made out, out of this murder cage um, in, in a basement in New York without it coming up later uh, when he uh when Benji tells Joe that he's got a peanut allergy, uh, I feel that's going to come back into play again, right? And then when he tells Paco, oh, there's this great hiding spot. Well, that's because Joe clearly has something hidden in his. It's interesting, though, that he knows when he says every bathroom in this apartment building has, you know, this ceiling tile that you can move. It's like, how do you know that every single one has that? Have you been in all of them? He probably has. He's probably sp- spied on all of them. Anyway, good note. Yep. Do you have any notes? I do. I've got a couple. Um, I just want to make a comment, especially in this episode. It just cracks me up. And I've seen some really funny memes on the internet about this as well. And that's Joe's in-person spying. So he does a lot of this behind-the-scenes spying on social media. But his in-person, like when he's standing (laughs) right outside of Beck's window, like literally right on her sidewalk, and he's just standing right there. Um, It cracks me up because it's like, is it just me or does this dude like stand out a little bit? Um, yeah, there's a couple times we like walk past each other and it's like, how does she not realize that's who it is? I know. And I don't know. Maybe it's a New York thing. Um, I've been to New York several times. My daughter went to school in New York. And so I visited uh, multiple times. Clearly, I'm not a native. Didn't live there for a long period of time. But I'm a really good observer um, of of things. And, you know, I feel like it's, it could probably work in New York. I feel like, you know, people aren't paying attention to you at all. People don't give a shit about some dude standing off to the side being kind of creepy or whatever. They're doing their thing. They're busy. They got things to do, places to go. But if you're in my hood, um, I can promise you that dude is going to be standing out. Like he's going to stand out like a sore thumb. So I just, I just thought it was kind of funny. Um, how obvious some of his spying 
um, was. I really liked <laughs> Joe's fake tweets as he was tweeting as Benji on his phone. <laughs> yeah, he was sending out these tweets just so people weren't getting suspicious of him being missing. Like, oh, he's just out partying and he's just kind of MIA a little bit. Um, and I like how he spelled "your" wrong in his fake tweet, <laughs> even <laughs> "you are" instead of "you" um, apostrophe "r e." Um, I love that because it seems appropriate, right? I feel like that's totally what douchebag Benji would probably spell your wrong and use it inappropriately. I'm a grammar. uh, I just feel I get stuck on grammar. And when I see people like misusing um, words like that, it it just really gets me. Um, Oh, I like the whole exchange with Joe and Peach, how they kind of taunt each other. She kept calling him Joseph. Yes, I love that. Yeah, Peaches. And he's like, yeah, he, he she did it like two or three times. And he's like, it's Joe. And then finally he hits her up with peaches and she's like, it's peach. So I really like that. I think they um, have that back and forth that is, is just interesting. I was super crushed when Benji tore through all those books. Yeah. Ugh, that hurt. Like I said, I love books to see that just broke my heart. Um, and then I loved Joe's and there with, with, Joe. And he says, when he's telling Benji, he says, what you said about Beck basically being a gold digger. I was just being honest. Uh, that's all. And Joe says, what you are is wrong. I go so far as to say you create the problem when you assume the stuff, when you treat her like trash, you cast her in a role that isn't her and you, and you trap her in it. Um, he says, I'm so done with her. And Joe's like, well, so say I, I can trust you. I've got the video, right? I mean, solid. Maybe the thing is it doesn't make up for the damage you've done. Um, if it was between you and me, Benji, honestly, I would roll the dice. I would, like you said, I'm not a killer. And then he just, he gets that pause and there's that suspenseful music that plays. And he said, but this is about her. Um, and then he goes on to describe, he's like maple almond latte, two stevia, two tablespoons of peanut oil could have gone either way. He's lied about so many things. Um, who knew the peanut allergy was real? Guess Benji's going to die an honest man, like you said. Um, I just love that whole exchange. I just, I like what he had to say it again, where Joe just really thinks that he's doing this for Beck and to get her to love him and to win her over. And he's not just now eliminating Benji. He thought that just kind of keeping Benji away and saying, look, he's out with other girls. He has, he doesn't love you. He's not interested in you. He doesn't care for you. Like I do. He thought that was going to be enough, but he kept seeing how Beck was keep, you know, still drawn, like still worried about Benji and still being drawn to him. And now he sees that he's totally got to eliminate him for not just, you know, now that she's even starting to come around a little bit, he still thinks he's damaged her and he must pay. Interesting, but I love those lines. They're really good writing, I yeah, think. Yeah, I, I agree. In the series. So I'm really liking it so far. So that's all my notes. Nice. Another good episode. I like that. Definitely pumped for episode three. Like um, one of those shows that when it gets over, you're like, oh, crap, is this actually over? Okay. And you really just want to plow right into the next one. I know. To me, they really do pace them out really well. You get a lot in these episodes. And I mean, they don't feel like 47 minutes long. I know I'm not saying exactly 47 minutes, but they're, they're all around that time. Um, it goes by so quickly. I'm having a good time with it. All right. So we do have a news item this week, some really interesting news. So we talked a little bit about last week that um, you has been renewed for a second season on Netflix. It won't be going back to, to Lifetime or anything. It is going to be exclusively for Netflix. But we Got some news. Um, I think it was today. Uh, Victoria Pedretti 
guys, do we remember Victoria Pedretti? She was the adult Nell in Haunting of Hill House, um, has been cast as the female lead. Mm in the second season of you. So Victoria Pedretti was fresh out of college uh, when in 2017, Netflix cast her as Nell Crane um, on Netflix's Haunting of Hill House. On the Hills of the Horror series October premiere, um, the internet network has tapped Pedretti as the female lead on the upcoming second season of the breakout hit uh, psychological thriller series, You. Um, I am super excited because I really, really loved her performance yeah, in Haunting of Hill House. I was really surprised. We're like, this is her first big acting gig. I'm like, really? Like, she just did a, a yes. fantastic job. She was fresh out of college when she got that role. And I just loved her so much in that role. I thought she, uh, not just for the character, but just how she was able to shift in all these different emotions and her facial expressions was just absolutely beautiful. And she could be so lovely and um, fresh in, in one scene and then so heartbreaking in another in that. And so I'm super excited. And she followed up Haunting of Hill House. So she wrapped that up. And she also is going to be in Quentin Tarantino's upcoming Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. You heard about that? It's got, um, oh, I'm loving this cast. Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and it's the um, Marilyn Man- or um, the uh, Charles Manson. I was going to say Marilyn Manson. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. But it's a story, yeah, this, the, the Charles Manson thing, the whole – I don't know exactly what piece he's doing. I haven't tried to read too much on it because I don't want to really I, read that much. I think I remember hearing but, about that now, yeah. Yeah, So, and then they have – I think Margot Robbie's playing Sharon Tate. So they have this really great cast. So, um, yeah, Victoria Pedretti's in that. Charles Manson? I don't know. It doesn't seem I don't like know. a fit for Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio, but – No, I think – if, I could be totally wrong. So I could be wrong, folks, and I apologize if I am because, like I said, I've tried not to read too, too much because I don't want to really get spoiled or anything. But I'm pretty sure they're playing detectives, Okay, I think. So I don't know who who's playing Manson. But anyway, I thought that was super cool because I'm really looking forward to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love Tarantino. I love Brad Pitt. I love Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and since we found out she has been cast, we also found out this was just before um, I had already gathered all my stuff. There's a couple of others that have been um, cast in here as well. So who do we have? And I don't want to read all this entire article because if you read it, it starts to get really, really spoilery as to who these folks are going to be playing. And it can be a little spoiler if you haven't already finished. Um, so James Scully, who recently portrayed leading man JD on Paramount Network's short-lived Heathers and Jenna Ortega, um, who played a young Gina Rodriguez on the CW's Jane the Virgin. They have now joined um, the Netflix thriller um, second season for you as well. So they're really coming along quickly with this cast and getting things um, moving pretty quickly. And I'm super excited uh, for when that's going to come out. But anyway, that's all I have for the news this week. Now we're ready for messages found in your apartment. All right. So I think Rima pulled this one out of Laura Willie Swink's uh, apartment. So, so <laughs> from the first episode, I was afraid the series would be your typical movie of the week, creepy stalker obsesses over clueless victim series. But episode two kicked it up and added way more dimensions to what could be a very typical show. Beck has become way more interesting to me. Is she the thoughtful artist Joe imagined she is, or is she he just becoming a victim of his own obsessive narrative? And for that matter, are, Beck fr- are Beck's friends the shallow so- socialites he believes them to be? Peaches seem to be somewhat of a caring and concerned friend. 
Do we really know any of these characters truly when our narrator is untrustworthy and highly subjective? And just like the novel Frankenstein that Joe gave to Paco, it's clear he sees himself as a sympathetic monster who is the hero of his own story. And that final scene, Joel rolling the dice to test Benji's penchant for lying as a device for murder was a fairly shocking and unexpected twist. Okay, you, you got me. I'm hooked. Oh, I love that. That's really great feedback, Laura. And I agree with everything that you said. Yeah, it's true. We are only seeing uh, Beck's friends, which I don't think very highly of them at this point, but we are only kind of seeing them from his perspectives and or uh, Joe's perspective. And that's kind of twisted, we're finding out, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> and that's one little like weird thought I have is you'd mentioned like he had walked past Beck in multiple scenarios and she didn't realize who he is. Mm-hmm. What if like these interactions he's having with her, like on dates and things like that are not really with her. He's envisioning in them. It's like, oh. maybe he's like walking down the street with her, but he's on the other side. Or like when she oh. come into the, came into the bookstore, she actually came in to buy a book and she didn't actually kiss him, but that's what he envisioned. Cause we've seen him imagine these things in the first episode. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm wondering if, if he's not really having these actual interactions with her, he's envisioning them. Interesting. Gosh, you know, I just, I would go for just about anything in this. It's all kind of twisting and, and in its own way, shocking, but that wouldn't really surprise me at all. I like it. Okay. Well, we've also got um, an email from our good friend, Steve Brown. Hi, Raymond. Sean, it's Steve. And I just finished watching uh, the last nice guy in New York. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny because as I, as I began the episode, the first note I wrote was Candace with, with a question mark. And then, of course, you know, about midway through the episode or maybe three quarters, however far it is, uh, we meet the girl Maddie and we don't learn anything about Candace, which pissed me off. Oh, I wanted to find out something. OK, she's gone to Rome, or at least her friends think she's gone to Rome. But what really happened to her? Interesting. Um, notice that Joe has really idealized Beck in this. In this, everything she does is is positive. Everything she does is good. He's he's totally idealized who she is. Um, there is something good to him about being content. The problem is that he's not really content. Joe's not really content because uh, he's he's trying. Uh, to find more depth in Benji, and it's not there. Those two things have nothing to do with each other. He's not really content. He pretends to be content, but he's not. And he's he was seeking to find something in Benji that's not there. Um, the uh, as soon as Beck said, uh, oh, "I'm glad we're friends," it just it, it broke my heart. I've heard that before, and you know, it, not. From Joe's position, but I'm just saying that's a that's a hard phrase for anybody uh, to hear. Um, question: Did did Paco? It looked like Paco had a shiner when he was sitting on the the stairs there. It looked like maybe he'd been punched, had a bruise on one of his eyes. Um, if that's the case, or if it was just maybe the shadows and the way it was falling on his face. Maybe he hasn't been, but if if that's really what's going on, then that makes even worse what uh, what's happening to him. And then, of course, we get 
the big thing of, of Joe. <laughs> I'm going to admit, as soon as Joe handed him that coffee and he started drinking it, I said, oh, he poisoned him. He just, he poisoned him. <laughs> and uh, so it's interesting. I'm wondering how he's going to get rid of the body now. Yeah. Can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Talk to you later. Oh, great observation, Steve. Yeah, like you know, that. did you notice, um, I, I have to say now that he said something, I remember seeing something when he's sitting in the stairwell about Paco's eye, and I wondered myself, but it wasn't like a full, yeah, I, like what you would think of as like a black eye, but did you notice? I did think like something seemed kind of darker there, but I, it wasn't enough to be like, oh, for sure, black eye, but again, right. like the subtlety of the show, a lot of times if you get a black eye, maybe his mom covered it with something or is trying to hide a lot of that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I hope that's not the case. I, I'm with you, Steve. I, it, it looked, I, I did notice it and I kind of wondered myself, I was like, gosh, his eye looks really dark on that one side, but it didn't look enough to say, oh, yes, it is a black eye. But it was enough for me to be like, gosh, it, it, I hope not. That poor kid, I feel, has um, been through enough. And um, just adding that on top of it is terrible. Really good observations there, Steve. Thank you so much. And yeah, no one likes getting thrown into the friend zone. Poor Joe. Okay. Well, we have a nice little uh, shout out that we'd love to give one of our dear friends and listeners, Mark Kirkman, um, this week. Mark was super kind um, and sent Sean and I some gifts. I have opened mine. I And I'll send pictures. I'll put them on our um, social media. I got a really awesome um, hopper. Lifted up here, Chief Hopper from Stranger Things, um, and it's a McFarland toy, so you know it's it's super awesome, and um, I'm loving it so much. Uh, everybody knows my obsession <laughs> with with Hopper and Stranger Things, and it, there's also a gift here that I have for Sean from Mark that I have. Um, it's, it hasn't been opened, so are you? Are you? Is, so it like yes. is it like Christmas morning? Is it like Christmas morning? So, so Sean. Sean can see me, so I'm going to unwrap it as we're talking. We're going to do like a little um, unboxing here on the podcast. Sorry, you're going to hear some paper tearing. What is it? What is it? Yes. <gasps> it's a Demi-Gorgon. It's, it's my own Demi- little Demi-Gorgon. Sean got his own Demi-Gorgon um, pop. Was that pop? Pop Funko. Mark, I've been needing one of these for my collection. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you, Mark. He sent us some other goodies that um, I don't know. You guys might be able to get a little piece of. So be yeah. looking out for some fun little giveaways that might be coming up super soon. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag. You're just going to have to keep listening and watching and follow our social media um, to see what we have up. But thank you so much, Mark. You are super kind and super generous as always, um, thank you so much for our fun gifts. Yeah, thank you very much. That's super. Like, you didn't have to do that at all, but like, really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Man. I know, I know. Um, but you know, we always appreciate appreciate gifts and bribery. <laughs> <laughs> Teasing. You don't have to get anything. It's very sweet and thoughtful. Um, he is just that awesome. Mark has a very kind and generous heart. So thank you for that, Mark. So much. It means a lot. Thank you to everyone for your awesome feedback. I love getting everyone as obsessed in the show um, is, is me. So I love hearing all of that stuff. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you guys. It's kind of like we, we're, we're the people at the office that are like, you have to watch this show, but except like people yes. at the office not watching the show, all of our strange and watch it with us, which is awesome. I 
know. I love these guys so much. I have heard a couple of times that, um, well, I haven't watched the show yet and I wasn't sure if I was going to, but now that I've heard you guys are going to cover it, yes, I'm going to watch it. And that just makes my heart swell. I mean, my heart is so full when I hear that kind of thing. It really means so much. Um, and also, yeah, it feeds my ego just a little bit because I do, I am that person that is always grabbing people. You have to watch the show. If you haven't figured that out already I by me obsessively telling you your Netflix watching. <laughs> that's, that's right. I, I, I like being in control just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much. We love you. All right. So next week we'll be covering the third episode from Netflix TV show. You titled, Maybe. So the description of this episode is Beck isn't certain that Joe is the one, so he sets out to prove he's boyfriend material. Balancing this important time in their blossoming relationship with the tricky maneuvers he's been pulling behind the scenes proves challenging for Joe. Oh, wonderful. We get to see him lose his shit a little yeah. bit more. She's going to go back to the bookstore know. and be like, I've always wanted to do it in a basement. And he's like, uh, <laughs> it's being remodeled. Let's go find another basement. <laughs> We're really excited for you to follow us into that book basement. But until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange TCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Stranger TCast. And you can check us out on Instagram at Strange underscore Indeed underscore pod. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. And you can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like House Podcastica at Podcastica.com. Make sure you go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed and any of the other great Podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcast. Speaking of great podcasts, make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our show. Episode 75, The Last Nice Guy in New York. Until next time, I'm Rima. Hey, and I'm Sean. And Christine Nightingale is strange indeed.